Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and I am delighted to be here tonight with you to continue our study of Second Samuel. And it has just been a whirlwind. Uh, if you remember last week, Absalom has made his move. And in making his move, uh, David realizes that Absalom, through deceit, he is now trying to take the throne. And David is trapped in the city initially when he hears the news that for almost four years, better than four years, they, uh, Absalom has been stealing the hearts of the people of Israel by telling them that he would be a better king, by lying to them saying that when they came for justice that, you know what, you got a cause, and, and if only I was here to give you the justice that you deserve, by pretending to be in love with the people. The scripture told us that when people came uh, to him, that he would just embrace them and kiss them as if he really cared about him, about them. And he is working this rebellious deceit from a place not of love, but from a place of hatred, from hatred that has grown and attracted lust he lust after power. As a matter of fact, we spent time just talking about how Absalom, in trying to take the throne from David, that there was tremendous parallels between Absalom and Satan. How Satan says, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the throne. And this is what Absalom is doing. But the hate has done more than that. The hatred has led to this Rebellion, and for for a while, uh, we spent time talking about why we as Christians need to practice love and not hate, because hate is a byproduct of unnatural fleshly desires. We want something, or or we want to get at somebody, and so we allow this conflict to stay within, and we determine that. We're going to get what we want, and so the next thing you know, uh, um, other fleshly things join us, and the next, and rebellion is one of them. And we talked about that, you know, when you hate, you rebel against God, and you literally do. You don't even have to go through all the steps to see that hatred is rebellion against God, because Anytime you don't do what the Lord tells you to do or you don't obey the command, you're literally rebelling against God. And the commandments of God, of God shouldn't produce rebelliousness because every time that God commands us to do something, it is for our own good. Commandments are boundaries. They're telling you that if you go too far to the left, you're going to fall off the cliff. So don't go too far to the left. If you're going to go too far to the right, you're going to fall in that water, and you can't swim. So don't go too far to the right. Go straight ahead. Keep your feet on this narrow path. Commandments, obeying commandments give life. Disobeying commandments not only will lead you to death, but they take you out of the position for your blessing. That's one of the things that I'm learning, that you can't, you can't get so caught up in wanting somebody else's blessing that you look at what they have and start to emulate what they're doing or trying to covet what they have to, because you think that that's going to be good for you. No. God has something for you. And when you, when, when you desire something that's not yours and uh, what you do is you take your yourself out of the position to get what God has for you. Let me make it real simple. So let's say you're a size 8, and you see one of them little size 2s walking around, 
and you say, ooh, I want that dress, not just, uh, but I don't want it in an eight. I want it to fit me the way that it fits her. You ain't no two, you're an eight. Nothing wrong with an eight. And so rather than go get something that fits you, you go and get something that fits her. And then you try to put it on. Ooh, we. Am I, am I, am I, am I, am I, am, are you seeing a hot mess there? Well, imagine that being your life. Trying to get something that does not belong to you, that does not fit you, takes you out of the place of your blessing. It takes you out of the place of your purpose. And what God wants to do with you every time is to keep you where you need to be in that place of blessing. Amen? But before we go any further, let's and, and jump into the lesson. Let's have a word of prayer. Then I want to make a quick invitation to those who don't know Christ, and then we'll dive right in, okay? Here. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. And we come, Father, into your word, thanking you. We thank you, Master, that you have led us throughout this study and that it's been so rich and we've learned so many things and that you've opened our mind up, you've revealed things to us, things that we needed to repent of, things that we needed that built our faith, and we thank you for that. Now, Father, tonight as we come to you, I have an unspoken prayer request that, um, that Father, that, that you know all about. And my prayer tonight is that you would lead and guide me in that area. Speak to me, O oh God. Strengthen us in the areas where we need strengthening. Then, Father, I pray for those who are out listening tonight and who are studying uh, this word. I pray your spirit be upon them. I pray your spirit would speak to them and lead them and guide them into all truth. I pray, O oh God, that that you would show them how this fits into their life even right now. Oh, God, you are everywhere at all times. And I pray, Father, that you would just bring great ministry unto them. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> now, your sins are forgiven. That's the one thing I wanted to do. Your sins are forgiven. If you, if this is your first time watching this program or if this is your first time ever hearing a Christian broadcast, I got a word for you, and that word is simple. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins were forgiven at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of all mankind. And the only difference between you and me is that I have accepted the gift that God gave of forgiveness of sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And you haven't. But we can fix that right now. For all, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, by faith you can be saved. If you believe that in your heart, and can confess that with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the, he's the Son of God, if you, and that he died for your sins. If you can just say that out of your mouth, believing it, you see, the, by you saying it, by you confessing it, what you are doing is you're saying what God says. And the confession is your action of faith. You see, faith is belief plus action. So you believed it in your heart, and you took action by confessing it, by saying what God has said. And if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can be saved. And what does that mean? All you have to say is, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. If you do that, if you do that right there, then you're saved. So what do you do next? Well, the next thing that you need to do 
is you need to find a Christian, you need to find a a, a church, a, a, you need to, a church member, you need to find a pastor, somebody who can sit with you and explain salvation better than I just did over the last maybe two three minutes, and I mean give you the details. What do, so what do I do now that I'm saved? What do I do now that I believe? Well, there's some things that God is going to do in your life. And what you need that pastor or that that Christian to help you with is to hold your hand and explain and walk you through it. It's like holding the hand of a baby to help them learn how to walk. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to hold your hand and help you learn how to walk as a Christian, how to walk as a member of the family of God. Remember when we had the little babies in our families and we would grab them, put, put our fingers and let them hold on to them and we, you know, help them get their balance? That's literally what they're doing. And you'll find out that God has prepared a person for you to help you to help walk you through to your salvation. I welcome you into the family of God. And I pray, I pray that that you uh, by the power of God, have confessed Jesus as your Lord. Amen. So now let's get into the Word. We're at um, we're at Second Samuel chapter fifteen. Open your Bibles up. Let's go at it. And tonight, the theme that we're going to see, the theme that we're going to to really look at, is the friendships and the people around David who are supporting him as well as some who said they was with him, but now it's exposed what they're really all about. Because, you know, everybody looks at David and thinks that everything was all hunky-dory, but there is turmoil. There's turmoil because Absalom is moving in, ready to make a move on David. David. The turmoil that he's sown throughout the kingdom, you know, he didn't just he didn't just take those two hundred fellows down to uh, uh, Hebron with him. That was part of the master scheme. Remember, we talked about it. Those guys didn't know what was going on. But what Absalom did was strategic. He stripped David of many of his advisors and many of the people that were running the kingdom to make David think that they had abandoned him. But more than that. He put those 200 people in a pickle because if they turned around down in Hebron and said, you know what, Absalom, we're not with you, then Absalom would have killed them. But not only that, they couldn't escape to go back to David because David would have been suspicious of them. So now what's happening is David has made a decision. I can't let this thing come to the city. I can't get bottled up behind these walls. But there was, <clears throat> but there was one other thing that, that I wanted to share with you and that I didn't share last week. David's concern for the city. His concern for Jerusalem. Yeah, there were some people in Jerusalem that were not for David. But David did not want the attack to be in the city, number one, because it would have been hard for him to defend from that position, but because of the internal turmoil, but also because David was a better guerrilla fighter than he ever was from a city. And so David was positioning himself to, be, uh, to fight from strength rather than weakness. You see, even though you get old, you don't forget your game. Mm -mm. If you got to fight, you want to fight on familiar territory. You want to be in a place where you know every nook and cranny. If you are, if you dwell in the city, you want to know where those gangways are at. You want to know where those cubby holes are at. You want to know the places that you can get in and get out. You want to know which streets have the dead ends on them and where the speed bumps are. You want the advantage at all times. And what David is doing is David is going to get the advantage. So let's look and see what's going on here. Uh, chapter 15, and we will start um, at verse 
24, where it says, 1524, Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Let me stop right there. One of the things that we know about David is David is a worshiper. And even as he is leaving the city, even as he is fleeing, he is still aware of the presence and power of God. And in that, they begin to, to give, uh, um, he has the priest offering up sacrifices. Now, remember what the purpose of sacrifices are for. Sacrifices are for fellowship. Sacrifices, during the, sac the sacrificial system is given to restore fellowship, and it's also given to invite fellowship. And so we have uh, sacrifices for sin, and, and, and when there's a sacrifice for sin that's given, uh, it's given for the priest, sacrifices for sin for the uh, entire Israelite community, sacrifices for sins of individuals. And so they are sacrificing, inviting the presence of God into their situation. Now, so what does that mean to you? No, no matter what kind of, of uh, um, how should I put it, no matter what your situation, no matter what the devil throws at you, no matter what the enemy is doing in your life, Scripture teaches us one thing that sometimes we forget. It says, in all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So David has an attitude of thanks. In, in that they're given the, sac the, the sacrifices, inviting God into the situation. And so what we need to do is we need to stop trying to be the lone ranger and fighting this thing out on our own, but instead invite the presence of God into the situation. Now, we know why David is going through what he's going through. David is reaping what he sowed. Remember we talked about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, where God has pronounced what's going to happen to David because David has opened up the door to the devil? But David still understands something about God. He says, oh, I'm going to thank you anyway. I don't like this. I'm running. But I trust you. And so I'm going to look to you. And that's what he's doing in these, in these couple of verses. Zadok was there too. I'm going to read 24 again. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Give thanks, submit to God. That's what David is doing here. David submits his life to the will of the Lord. One, he's going to send the ark back because the, one of the reasons why he sends the ark back is because the ark should stay in the place of, that God himself has declared to be his dwelling place. God declared Jerusalem as the place uh, where his divine presence, his visible divine presence, would dwell. And so the ark symbolized that divine presence. And so David says, nope, he didn't say that the ark should go running around with me. Yes, I want the presence of God, and I will have the presence of God, but the symbol of the presence of God, stays in Jerusalem. And as for me, I place myself in the hands of God. 
and he's going to do what seems right to him. What do you do when you're under attack? Do you place yourself in the hands of God? Do you submit yourself unto the will of God? And let me tell you something. It's easy to teach but hard to do. Because when Satan is coming at you, when your body is betraying you, when your friends are forsaking you, when everything that you say, when you put it on the line, time in and time out, and all, of, and you're expecting blessings, and it looks like you're getting curses, don't you? Sometimes you just want to say, "I had a, God, I had enough of this. We got to go another way." But what is David doing? David submits himself. To God, and I'm going to teach you tonight that one, that first of all you worship, you give thanks, and two, submit yourself unto God. And we talked about that last week. When you're under satanic attack, when you're under temptation, submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil, and the word says he'll flee from you. That's that's the word right there. Let's keep going. The king also said to Zadok, the priest, aren't you a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your son Ahimez and Jonathan, son of Abiathar. You and Abiathar, take your two sons with you. I will wait at the fords in the desert until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. Let's back up and let's talk about Zadok and let's talk about Abiathar. Both Zadok and Abiathar are priests. And if we went over into um, uh, 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 First Chronicles, what you, I think it's First Chronicles 24. Let me turn over real quick. What you find out is that in First Chronicles, what David has done is David has organized the priesthood. And he has organized them by family. And there are two families of priests that, that, that all the priests extended from, uh, um, from Aaron. But Aaron had four sons, and um, two of them, Nadab and Abihu, died. Because if you remember, they, when they were learning what worship was all about and how to serve, they brought strange fire before the Lord, and the Lord struck them down. And David um, and, uh, and Aaron had two more sons, Ithmar and um, Ooh, I forget. Wait, Ithmar and well, I forgot the other guy's name, but he has two more sons, and maybe they'll, they'll show up in, and I can pick them up real quick. In uh, uh, Chronicles, but in go turn to Chronicles twenty four. I think that's where it's at. Yeah, Levi's twenty four. Division of priests. Uh, Eleazar, that's the name that I forget. Eleazar and Ithamar. Okay, Zadok is a descendant of Eleazar, and you said. Well, why are you telling us all of this? And Abiathar was from Ithamar. Now, one of the things that you will find out is that, and, and one of the things that we studied a while back is, remember that um, two things about Abiathar. One, Abiathar is a descendant of Eli. We learned that in First Samuel. And Eli, Eli is going to, Eli is going to uh, uh, lose the priesthood. But now here with David, we still see a descendant of Eli in the priesthood. Now, when God says something, he, he's true to his word, and we're going to see later on how um, the priesthood will switch over, and those who follow, those who are descendants of of uh, Eli will be wiped out of the priesthood. We'll see that, and you see the transference. But both of those families, they've been, they've been divided up, and there are divisions, and the priests serve, each division serve a certain period of time. Now, in this instance, Abiathar and Zadok, Zadok are high priests, and they're both serving simultaneously during this time of crisis. 
And the thing that you want to know about, the other thing that you want to know about Abiathar that you probably forgot about was remember when Saul uh, killed all the priests of Nob? And Abiathar was one of the ones that got away and came to David. And so he's been with David through all of the messes, through all of the messes, through through the wilderness, uh, when David was in the caves of Abdullah, when he went down to the Philistines, when, you know, he has been with David all along. And so you got this guy who has been with him, and then you got this Zadok, who is also a priest. And what does David say to Zadok? He sends them back. He sends both of them back. And he's positioning them for service. And Zadok, is more than a priest because what does he say to Zadok? He says, he says, um, aren't you, uh, verse 27, aren't you a seer? That means that David is going to depend on Zadok for more than this priestly function. Zadok is supposed to bring back to David a prophetic word. He is the one that, that David is saying, look, I need you to go back there, and I need you to get a word from the Lord. This is one of his friends. This is one of the people that's in his, that's in his inner circle. One of the things that you want when you have a friend is a person who knows how to get a word from the Lord. It's one thing to have a priest, okay, who knows how to serve the Lord, and that's what Abiathar knows how to do. Abiathar knows how to pray. He knows how to do, you know, he knows how to do everything that goes on with the, uh, with the temple. He is a leader within temple service. He is the high priest. He's offering up sacrifices, the whole nine yards. But the difference between the two of them, Zadok could do all that thing, but Zadok knows how to get a word. And you always want somebody in your circle who knows how to to go into the presence of the Lord and get a word from him. And David's got a friend like that in Zadok. He sends him back, and he says, I need you to tell me what's going on there. Usually, I, I, look, when you get back there, y'all continue to pray. Y'all continue to sacrifice. Y'all continue to do everything that you've been doing, but, Make sure you get a word from the Lord. And when you get a word from the Lord, I need you to do something with it. Verse 30, but David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahitophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Let's stop there for a second. Two things. One, does this scene remind you of anything? When is the next time we're going to see somebody going up on the Mount of Olives weeping for the city? We see that in Jesus. But Jesus goes and he says, you know, he weeps for the city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I long to take you in my arms. And here's David. He's weeping for the people. See, David's not, you know, he's not no scary guy. He'll fight. That's not the issue. The issue is that as king who has a heart for God's people, who has protected God's people, now he's leaving God's people behind. There are some who are going with him, but he, and he's leaving the city of God, and that is breaking his heart as he weeps and he mourns for what's going on. Notice, he's not mourning for himself. He's giving himself over to God. It's those people. Second thing that I want you to see is Ahithophel. We talked about him last week, and when we talked about him last week, what did we tell you about him? We told you last week that that is Bathsheba's grandfather and that his actions 
awesome get back for what David did within his family. And Ahithophel is is supposedly one of the wisest men in, in Israel. And he has come alongside to conspire and advise and give his wisdom to, to, to Absalom. And so David immediately begins to pray. And he says, turn that counsel into foolishness. We'll see what happens. That's an, Now, verse 32. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai, the archite, was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priest Zadok and Abiathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, and Jonathan, son of Abiathar, are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So David's friend, Hushai, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. What do we know about this guy, this guy Hushai? The only thing that we know about him is that Hushai is the king's friend. Even in Chronicles, when you talk about Hushai, do you know what they say? They don't, he's, he's got no office. He's not considered a, count, a great counselor. He's not numbered as anything. He's not the treasurer. He's not the priest. His title is the king's friend. And when you have a friend like this guy, Hushai, you got a friend. I mean, his friendship was so magnanimous toward David, that the only thing the Bible records him as is, that's the king's friend. Isn't that something? Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody who is in your life, and all you can say is, that's my friend. You don't tell them what they do for a living. You don't say what they've done for you. You don't introduce them by their function within the body of Christ. You don't introduce them as, as uh, 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 anything but, that's my friend. I got a couple of them. I have a couple of them. And let me tell you something. I'm blessed to have a couple because there are some people who don't have one. But one of my friends' name is Jesus. And, for, and, you know, Jesus is one who sticks closer than a brother. Why is it important that you have friends? Let's just look at what, what friends look like real quick. I want to, because Ahithophel proved to be a false friend. He is a false friend. Look at what, what, what David says about him in Psalm 55. Turn real quick to Psalm 55. I like reading that whole thing, but I don't have, I won't read the whole thing. You guys go back and read that later, but I'm just going to read a little, just a little bit about what David writes about Ahithophel. You know, why can't I grab the requisite number of pages to get where I want to real fast? Because you just like, you just love turning pages in your Bible. That's what it is. 55 is between. Between 64, son. Mm, mm, mm. Y'all, they already, I already know. Y'all laughing at me. Why don't he go on and do the new way? Because I don't like the new way. I like the old way. Um, 55 verses 12. Go to verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I couldn't do it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it was you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship <clears throat> as we walked with the throne at the house of God. 
That's how he describes him. That's how he describes of his affair. That's how close the two of them were. Uh, I, I re- if I had time, I'd read the King James Version because King James Version, it just it gets you right there. But anyway, let's look over at um, Proverbs 18 and 24 when it talks about friends. Proverbs 18. companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, there's a difference between folk you run with and a friend. You want to know who your true friends are, they're going to stick with you. Now notice that these are people that should be running away from David because of the hill that David is going through, and he has to send them back. He has to send Hushai away. He said, no, you can't run with me now because you'll slow me down. I need you in a different place. We, as children of God, need to identify people that are going to be with us through thick and thin, Young people call them ride or die. That's your friend. Your friend, you know, I always choose my friend by alleys because I grew up in the alley. And if I walked down a dark alley and somebody got at me and I had to take those pe- that person on by myself or those people on by myself because my friend, my so-called friend, ran off and left me and got away, that wasn't my friend no more. If you my friend and we go in the alley together, both of us coming out that alley together or neither one of us are coming out that alley because friends will stay with you through your trouble. Go to um, Ecclesiastes 4. Let's see. Ecclesiastes. Go backwards. Um, Ecclesiastes. Three pages is tight. Chapter four. Now, if you didn't get past the Songs of Solomon and you went too far, hit back to the left if you ain't on one of them little, them little pads. Ecclesiastes, verse four, uh, chapter four. Look, verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need friends, especially in our times of crisis, because a friend, if you fall, can help you up. But more than that, you need a, like I said, you need a friend that can pray you through. There were times when you get into to bad situations and you can't pray no more. You know, you feel like, oh, I'm praying and my prayer's hitting the sit. The, the, the ceiling. Uh-uh. You need somebody that's going to step in and intercede for you and not quit. And notice at the end it says a threefold cord is not easily broken. When you got a friend and you got God and it's you, oh, that's going to be tough. That's a tough combination. And so we want to make sure that especially during, well, not just during our times of distress, but at all times that we maintain good, true friendships. And one of the ways that you can identify your friends is how they respond when you're in trouble. 
or you're going to know your friends. Your friend going to come see about you. Your friend's going to be on the phone bugging you, saying, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, what you need? What you need? But they're going to go beyond what you need, asking you what you need. They're going to come, and they're going to try to figure out what you need, and they'll be jugging stuff in your face. Yeah, you, you look like you need this, or you look like you need that. They will try to minister to you. Now, if you ever see me in distress, stop by and get me a three-piece white from Popeye's. I'll pretty much take care of my needs for a few minutes, and I'm just playing, not really. Um, go to one of the things that, that, that characterize the friendships of David was his buddy Jonathan. Because what we see in Jonathan, we saw a friend who was willing to submit his own life. We saw a friend who was willing to step down so that friend who has been, who was anointed by God to be king could ascend into the place that was previously, that should have been Jonathan's according to man. But Jonathan was willing to sacrifice because he saw that his friend was the one that God wanted. You don't want a friend that's always competing with you. You want a friend that's willing to bow down and that's willing to sacrifice and and serve. And you want to be that kind of friend too. You want to be that kind of friend, a friend who's willing to sacrifice and serve. That was what Jonathan was. That was the example of Jonathan in in the life of David. So David knew friends. Amos 3.3 basically says that you also need a friend who's walking the same way. It says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And so you have to be in agreement. You have to have a friend who's willing to sacrifice. You have to have a friend who will stick with you through thick and thin. You, your friend, if you want to be a, a real friend, you've got to be right or die. Otherwise, you're just a companion. You're an associate. You just know that person. And see, a lot of people might get offended when they identify themselves as your friend, and you kind of look at them like, no, you're not my friend. I know you, though. You're my brother. But because a friend sticks closer than a brother. You are doing this out of a sense of familial obligation. But what I'm doing is I'm doing it because I'm your friend. I am your friend. And because I'm your friend, I'll bow down. Because I'm your friend, I give you when I ain't everything that I got and then some more. Because I'm your friend, I don't care if I didn't cause this to happen because you and I are friends that I'm getting in the middle of this fight. I'm jumping in. We're going to double team this devil. We're going to pray and, t- and pray. And when you quit praying, I'm going to continue praying. Why? Because you are my friend. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that about anyone else that's in your life? David can, because David's got this friend named Cushai. Let's keep going. Watch this. When, I'm, on, I'm on chapter 16. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkey saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Oh, wait a minute, King. You're on your way out the city. You don't have the right supplies. I know you don't. And I'm showing up with some food for you and your folk, and you're asking me, why have I brought these? David suspected something here. And you know what he suspected? He, he suspected the okey-doke. He knew something was wrong with Zebra. But, and you, you will find that, that folk who mean you no good will start coming out of the woodworks 
when they think you're down. And that's what's happening here because Zeba was doing something that he didn't want to do. David had ordered Zeba to take care of Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, and to work the land. And Zeba had hoped to have that for himself because he and his boys had been working it. Zeba is a classic example of the unjust steward. Zeba is, might have been the one that Jesus was talking about when he, when he unleashes the parable saying that um, the master left and left the, the vineyard to a steward out some hirelings, and everybody that he sent back to collect, they were beating them and killing them and, and, and doing all manner of things, and finally the son came and they killed him too. This is Zebra. This is Zebra all day long. Zebra is playing, running the game on David. Look, the king asked Zebra, why have you brought these? David's suspicious. Now, now you know, his, his, as they say, his, his antenna is up. Zeba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? The master's grandson is uh, Mephibosheth. Zeba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Zeba, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. So Ziba sits up there and he lies on Mephibosheth. We'll find out what the, that, 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 that Mephibosheth never did any of this stuff later on. But he lies on him and basically says, look, he's back there and he's against you. Even after he even sat at your table and ate your food, even after you've been so good to him, he wants what belonged to him restored to him. That's what he's saying. But wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because David had already restored the lands that belonged to Saul to Mephibosheth. He already had it. David's not thinking now on that. Wait a minute. Because if he just thought for a second, wait a minute, why would he do that? I would give it to him. But he says, you take it. Keep going. Then there, uh, verse 5. I got time. As King David approached Bahoram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Through all the troops and the special, though all the troops and the special guard on David's right and left, as he cursed Shimei, said, "Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel! The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood." What's he being accused of? He's being accused of killing Abner. He's being accused of killing Ishbosheth. He's being accused of killing all of the people that could have ascended to the throne. Nothing could be further from the truth. Remember, Abner was killed by Joab after David sent him away in peace because Abner or Joab did not want to compete with Abner to be the head of the armies. You remember that? Ishbosheth, David had nothing to do with that. Remember, it was two people from the raiding party that snuck in on Ishbosheth and killed him. And when they came to David, when they came to David talking about what they had did, what happened to them? David had them killed for killing that guy. And what happened to Joab? David went into mourning 
And he and everybody understood that he had nothing to do with that. But here is this uh, Shimei coming out of the woodworks trying to incite a riot against David because now David is moving into the countryside and he's moving through an area that is, is heavily occupied by the northern tribes, by the Benjamites. He's not moving toward Hebron. He's moving away from Jerusalem toward the north. And in the northern part of the city, that's where the, the, all, of, all of Saul's people was. Remember, Saul of Gibeah. Saul is a Benjamite. He's in Saul's territory. And he is discovering that even though the kingdom is thoroughly united, that there has been that there's turmoil that has been uh, stirred up concerning the affections of the northern tribe, and that's why uh, um, Absalom moves to cut him off from Judah. That's why Absalom goes down to Hebron because he says, if he come this way, I can get him. If David can get into Judah, David is really good. That's, that's his place because it's like, best way to say, say it is, there was red states and there was blue states. And what does Donald Trump do? Trump wants to stay in the areas of his support. So he's going to go to a red state, and he's probably going to go to a rural area where that's his stronghold. He's not coming to Chicago anytime soon expecting a, a great reception. Because this is stone blue here. And so what what these guys are doing is they you know, David is going away from his strength because Absalom is sitting in his strength. What can we learn from that? Even in places where we're not welcome, even in places where where it seems that the enemy is the enemy's stronghold, let me tell you something. The earth is the Lord's. I don't care where you're at. I don't care. You know, you could be in a hostile environment. If God be for you, who can be against you? If you can be in that office and everybody around you can be of a different faith or no faith at all, and they're making fun of you and they're giving you the business and blah, 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 blah. But if God be for you, it's just you and your friend, Jesus. Let's keep going. So now he's cursing them and he's saying, yeah, this is happening to you and God's giving the kingdom back because you are a murderer. You, 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 you've taken away something that never belonged to you and now you're getting your comeuppance. Then Abishai, son of Zeruah, said to the king, this is one of David's nephews, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But David knows something. He says, vengeance is mine. I shall repay, said the Lord. But the king said, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruah? Is he cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David? Who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. today. Oftentimes, oftentimes when somebody do something to us, we want to get them back. And we want to pay them back. Because instead of them giving us goodness, they're giving us cursing. But what does the word of the Lord tell us? Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. God says that vengeance is mine, I shall repay. God knew that that man was going to be there doing what he was going to do even before David was a gleam in his daddy's eye. God knew that. God knows who's trying to curse you now. But that curse will boomerang on them. That curse won't find a landing place in the life of a righteous one. 
because the word of the Lord will not be prevented. The blessing that God has pronounced in your life can never be nullified by any curse. Let them curse all they want to, but you have to continue to bless. Remember we talked about being in the position? You can't take yourself out of the position of your blessing by stopping long enough to curse somebody else. You can't get tempted that way. You go, God bless you, and keep on moving. Knowing that you are traveling toward blessing and eternal life in Jesus Christ, and they're on their way to hell unless they stop and repent. You see, so oftentimes we get caught up wrestling and stuff that they, and fighting battles. That ain't my fight. I ain't got to fight that. If the Lord told him to say it, let him say it. Because God has already pronounced a blessing over my life. And you keep it in gear and keep it moving forward. Verse 13, and I think I'm going to have to start wrapping up here. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. You can't let them stop you from getting where you're going, even though they own your tail and they're dogging you. And 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 and, and these are we see them as people, but I see them as demons. They're inspired by the devil to get on your tail, but you just keep on stepping, knowing that God got you, that God has you. So let me quickly review. Number one. You need to make sure that you are during the time of, of, of your temptation, during the time of your trial, during the time where there's rebellion going on and somebody trying to take something from you uh, and, and overthrow you, you need to be a worshiper. Don't forget to worship. What did we say? The Lord says, in all things give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Don't stop worshiping. Intensify your worship. Secondly, what, submit yourself unto the will of the Lord. Submit yourself unto the will of the Lord. Thirdly, be strategic with your friends, with your friends, with your friends. Know who your friends are. And we talked about the friendships. One, that friend is a ride-or-die person. He sticks closer to you than a brother. That friend is a person who's willing to sacrifice and submit. That friend is going to serve. Not only when you when you have that, you then the other thing that you want to make sure that you do don't get don't get caught up in revenge. Don't get caught up in what other people are doing and stopping long enough to chop somebody's head off, or you fighting. You know, as they say, you sweating the small stuff. God is going to use you. God is using you. God is trying to position you, and you've got a destination to get to. As you get to that place that strategic place of war, because that's what David is getting ready, to, getting ready to happen. He's getting to a place where he can fight, where he can really fight, where he can really bring deliverance for the people that he loves. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you for good friends. We thank you, O oh God, that you reveal in your word what we're supposed to do in the midst of our battle. That we, can, we don't have time to mess around with people, that you'll take care of that. But that we should stay focused in worship, we should stay focused in, in hearing from you, we should stay you at all times. And tonight, God, we submit yourself to your will and your way. We say thank you for all that you're exposing through your word. And we bless you and we praise you. Now speak to the people's heart. 
Speak to their heart even right now. Those who love you. Those who are trying to do what is right and who are under attack. Speak to their spirit, man, and strengthen them that they might walk upright before you. For we know, God, that what looks like defeat is only a preamble to victory. Because you said we are more than conquerors through Jesus and that you've given us the victory. You say in your word to be of good cheer because you have overcome them all. And because you overcame, we overcome. So we bless you and we praise you on this night. In Jesus, amen. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll pick up on Chapter 17 next week. Um, Absalom is clowning, but God will show up and show out every time. Be blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you next week. Bye-bye.